Hello, this is Brian McCormick. Welcome to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Ken Blanchard, a remarkable, well-known leader. Ken is an author, speaker, and business consultant. As an author, Ken has written more than 40 books, including the one he is probably best known for, The One Minute Manager, which has sold over 12 million copies to date. As a speaker, Ken crisscrosses the globe, reaching worldwide audiences with his entertaining anecdotes and insightful comments. As a consultant, Ken has refined the lessons he has learned through a lifetime of leading, and he delivers worthwhile guidance to many influential organizations. In addition, Ken is the Chief Spiritual Officer for the Ken Blanchard Companies. His own company gives him a real-world forum to employ the strategies he advocates. Enjoy the interview I conducted with Ken Blanchard and gain the wisdom of his numerous leadership insights. Sorry I've been a moving target. I just haven't gotten home from India. I feel like I'm a uh, fish on a meat hook in a front hall with a pool of piranhas. <laughs> little piranhas around, so I've had a lot of things to do. We uh, shut our company down for for two and a half days uh, once a year, and we have what we call our week of excellence, and we bring in everybody from around the world, and and we uh, meet and share and and celebrate. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a you know I I'm a big believer in celebrations and and uh, like that to keep your Folks all pumped up, you know. We uh, interesting aspect of that, and in, in uh, the year of nine eleven, we lost a million and a half dollars that month because we had forty five, fifty trainers on the road, and and everything got canceled. But we felt we had to pay for them and get them back, and and the economy was already down, so we realized we had to cut three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to four hundred thousand a month for. October, November, and December to limp into the black. And so uh, everybody, of course, says you have to get rid of people, and we didn't think that was a really uh, ethical thing to do in a tough economy with a country getting attacked. And sure. So we always we always open our books to everybody, and you know everybody knows how to read our balance sheet and said, here's the deal. This is what we got to do. Let's break in the task force as a uh, some to look at cutting costs, some to increase sales, and let's see how we pull this together. And so, through with everybody's help, we everybody agreed to cut their salaries and and up uh, paying 401k. And and if anybody quit, we wouldn't, you know, uh, hire anybody, and just did all kinds of things. And I told everybody when we pull through this, which I know we're going to do, we'll go to Hawaii to celebrate. So two Februarys ago, we took 350 people to Hawaii for four days for a party. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> That's tremendous. Celebrate. Yeah, well, you know, without your people, you're nothing. That's the biggest leadership mistake most people think, you know. They think it's uh, people and results is either or, not rather, not rather than both ends. Because at the end of the day, when everybody walks out, you know, your business just left. So uh, sure. you know, leadership's about your people, and if you turn around and nobody's following, you're probably not leading. <laughs> right, right, right. Huh? 
Well, okay, terrific. What about a favorite quote? Oh, favorite quote. Well, I guess my favorite one is uh, that the key to helping people develop and to creating great organizations is to catch people doing things right and accentuate the positive. Okay. Great. How about a favorite book and why? You know, I've written tons of them, so I have some favorites of my own, but uh, I got to write a book with Norman Vincent Peale, uh, who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. Right. And uh, he, he's quite a guy, and I think that was one of the great books of all time. And I met him when he was 86, and we wrote a book called The Power of Ethical Management, Integrity Pays, you don't have to cheat to win. Okay. So I I think that's a pretty powerful book. Great. What about books you would recommend for aspiring leaders? They ought to take a look at Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth and The E-Myth Revisited. Both his books are wonderful about being an entrepreneur. Okay. I think... I think Jim Collins' book, From Good to Great, is uh, a wonderful uh, book on uh, that. Uh, Patrick Lencioni wrote a great book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I think that's a a great book for uh, people to read. I've written over 40 now, so I'm starting a book of the month club, so I could keep people busy for quite a while. (laughs) I like... Laura Beth Jones wrote Jesus CEO. I think that's a great book. Hmm. I have I've I've enjoyed that myself. What about when you talk about your books? Is there one that I mean, not considering necessarily the most popular or the most widely read, but is there one that or a couple that really kind of have a special place for you, or are they all equal? And your are they all like children and and they're all equal? Well, I usually get most excited about the recent one. And the recent one I wrote is called Leading at a Higher Level. And it's different than anything I've I've written in recent years because it's not a parable. And I have 13 co-authors, including my wife and my son, and the founding consulting partners in our organization. And it pulls together everything we've been doing as a company for for 25 years uh, together. And it's focused around how do you get leaders to lead at a higher level, and which we think is achieving you know, worthwhile goals while showing you know, concern, respect, and care for the interests of all involved. Mm. And we think the real problem is that there's too many self-serving leaders who think that leadership's all about them and their main interest is that all of the power, recognition, and money move up the hierarchy away from the people and away from the customers. And leading at a higher level says that you ought to have a more transcendent goal than just trying to make money. Because if people think your only goal is to make money, then they will treat you as a transaction, treat you and your company as a transaction, you know, your people, if they get a better offer somewhere else, they'll go. If your customers get a better offer, they'll go somewhere else. Everybody thinks it's uh, it's all about themselves. 
And I think if you have a transcendent purpose, one that, you know, has, has meaning beyond any self-serving interests, that uh, people will really get excited about what you're doing. Sure. Now, why do you think that is, that, that people are nowadays more self-serving than in terms of their leadership than they may have been, you know, a generation ago? I think there's more pressure uh, from Wall Street and everybody around performance. Uh, I, I did a program a few years ago with in, at Euro Disney, and the head of Euro Disney uh, was on the program, and he said, I've worked for Disney for 22 years. I probably ought to say I've worked for Disney for 88 quarters, and pretty soon I'm going to have to say I've worked for Disney for 52 times uh, 22 because people are going to be checking our performance every week. And I, I think this way too short-term uh, interest, you know, years ago with my father and mother, when they invested in the stock, they invested it for the long run, you know, because they thought that they they could grow their money with the, with the company. Now people buy one one day and they want to sell the next day, and they want to profit. And uh, so uh, it's not just the leaders. I think uh, we have a self-serving attitude, and a lot of that is a function of the distorted salaries that athletes and entertainers and business leaders and everybody get. You know, it's a, so it sometimes drives a, uh, a me orientation. But I I I see a lot of good things happening though. I think the best companies to work for are family owned, values driven companies that you know, that that have a history of a sense of purpose and vision and values that you know, are beyond making money. Sure. You know, companies like, you know, Chick fil A, mm-hmm. you know, it's got thirteen hundred stores, not open on Sunday and has two percent turnover in their restaurant managers and less turnover hourly than anybody in the business. You know, they, uh, uh, you know, have, have a real inspirational purpose for people. Right. What about a current personal passion? My passion is to, you know, I turned 65 a couple of years ago when I was on the phone with Zig Ziglar and, and I just got invited to Zig's the 59th anniversary of his 21st birthday. <laughs> and uh, so he you know, just turned 80, and he, uh, I said, are you going to retire? He said, there's no mention of it in the Bible, except for, you know, Jesus, David, Mary, and a couple of other people. Nobody made an impact under 80. So I'm refiring, not retiring. My passion is to is to get people to lead at a higher level, you know. And other than that, I have a passion for golf and my family and our company. Sure. What about... And I, Go ahead. And, I, and I'm doing that passion in two ways. One with our company, which is, you know, our mission is to help individuals and organizations lead at a higher level. Our, our, our mission is to unleash the power and potential of people and organizations for the greater good. And then I also have uh, started a Lead Like Jesus ministry that's housed in Augusta, Georgia. And our our vision is, uh, you know, 6.8 billion uh, souls served by 
by people leading like Jesus. He's a wonderful role model. We're not an evangelist group because we think the next great movement in religion is going to be demonstration, not proclamation. Wow. And uh, I was just in India, India, and Gandhi said that if all Christians would behave like Jesus, everybody in the world would be interested. So uh, sure. that's a, another passion that I have. What about your dream? If Would that be the same, or would you say there's anything different if you had to identify your dream? Well, my dream would be that self-serving leadership would be a thing of the past, that we'd see uh, political leaders, business leaders, educational leaders, church leaders, and all who really were leading at a higher level and were, you know, had the traits that Jim Collins talks about, you know, resolve and determination to follow a mission, to live according to a set of values, and then they have humility. Sure. They don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less, and they uh, are really interested in serving rather than being served. And it would be a whole different thing, you know, because it's hard to understand what issues are in our country because if the Republicans are for it, the Democrats are against it, and if they're... Democrats are for it, the Republicans are against it, so it's not a very helpful system. Sure. What about the place in the world you most like to visit, or a place in the world you would like to visit if you haven't been there? And I, I don't know if there's... Well, is there anywhere you haven't been? <laughs> we've been almost everywhere. <laughs> uh, we have a little cottage on Skinny Atlas Lake in upstate New York, uh, S-K-A-N-E-A-T-E-L-E-S. And we go there every summer. We leave in the end of June and come back in the beginning of September. And it's just been doing that for over 40 years. And and it's my favorite place to go and visit and and to be. Wow. We're always, always looking forward to that. And we have a cottage there. and We have no TV. So people have to talk to each other. And... Uh, <laughs> We don't get a newspaper, and we just kind of stop the world periodically. And our kids have been going there since they were we ones, and now they're bringing the grandkids up there, so we have a great time. Wow. What do you think are the experiences that have been vital to your development? Well, I had great parents. I had a father who was a retired as an admiral in the Navy, and was kind of a Mr. Roberts leader, you know, and so he continually was bombarding me with different ways to look at the world. So, for example, when I was in seventh grade, I came home all excited that I had won the president of the seventh grade, and my father said, that's great, Ken, but now that you've been elected president, don't ever use your office, because great leaders are great because people respect and trust them, not because they have power. Sure. And, you know, and so that's some message for a young kid to hear. And then my mom was, she almost invented positive thinking, you know. And she <laughs> said, I I danced before I walked. I smiled before I cried. I laughed before I sighed. You know, so she, she was a great positive thinker and had a great impact on me. Excellent. How about advice to aspiring leaders? I think what we tried to do in leading at a higher level is to say they ought to keep 
their eye on things that they want to be great leaders. One is, do they have the right target? You know, what are they aiming at? Because that's what people are going to want to know. And I think that profit is the applause you get for taking care of your customers to create an innovating environment for your people. Uh, I think that uh, the triple bottom line is a good target. And then the second key is you got to take care of your customers. You know, without your customers, you're nothing. They pay for your bills. And so uh, we've done a lot of work on how do you create raving fan customers, customers that are so excited about the way you treat them. They uh, want to brag about you, and they almost become part of your sales force. Mm. And third, they got to take care of their people. In fact, people probably come before your customers because you can't beat up your people and expect them to take care of your customers. Sure. And, then fin- and finally, they got to have the right kind of leadership. You have to add to the question, am I here as a leader to serve or be served? What are my intentions? And that question, when it's answered honestly, goes at the root of of uh, leadership to me because I think you know leaders as Robert Greenleaf said years ago great servant leaders serve first and lead second sure if you walk into the average organization and look at the leadership how many do you think would say that they they're there to serve first I'm just curious in your experience well I think if you gave most people choices, they would probably want to say that they did, but then you'd have to look at their behavior, you know. So right. one, of the, one of the ways you can tell whether you're dealing with a self-serving leader is give them some feedback. So if you give them feedback, but you go to anything negative, they that's their worst nightmare because they think you don't want them to lead. And so uh, they have to discount you and put you down. Where if you give feedback to a servant leader, you can always tell because... They say, thank you, uh, this is really helpful. You know, I didn't mean that. Is there anybody else I should talk to? Uh, sure. The reason they love feedback is the only reason they're there to to lead is to serve. So I, I think there's more people that are getting it, but uh, more people act like and try to say that they are. But when push comes to shove, the spotlight focuses on them. Jim Collins had a great description. He said that the great leaders, when things go well, they look out the window and give everybody else the credit. When things go poorly, they look in the mirror and say, what could I have done differently that would have permitted these great people to be just as great as they can be? Where ordinary leaders, when things go well, they look in the mirror and pat themselves on the chest and tell themselves how great they are when things go wrong. They look out the window to see who they can blame. Sure. What about when you had mentioned the triple bottom line? Could you? I didn't catch that. Well, the triple bottom line is you want to be the provider of choice. You want to be, you know, have raving fan customers. You want to be the employer of choice. You want to have people working for you really enjoy working there. And you want to be the investment of choice, you know, oh, okay. whether you're profit or not profit. Somebody is putting money up, and so that's why I say profit is the applause you get for taking care of your customers and creating a motivating environment for your people. Sure. Okay. 
how about your most admired le- leader or leaders and why? I love servant leaders, and so I have a great admiration for for Herb Kelleher from Southwest. Now he's turned over the reins to Colleen Barrett, and both of them are great uh, servant leaders. I have a lot of admiration for Dan Cathy, the president of Chick-fil-A, and his father, Truett, who founded it. I think they're great uh, servant leaders. Jim Blanchard and Bill Turner, who ran Synovus out of uh, Columbus, Georgia, a financial services company, number one company to work for in the United States for years. Wegmans, run by Bob Wegman out of Rochester, this last year chosen the number one company to work for. They're all great servant leaders. Uh, Marilyn Nelson, who heads up the Nelson Companies, the largest probably privately owned company in the United States, got chosen by uh, USA News as one of the great leaders in the country. She's a beautiful servant leader, turns a company around from her dad, who was, you know, a traditional old-line leader. Sure. I admire Nelson Mandela and Gandhi and Jesus and people like that. Right. Okay. What about if you had to come up with a metaphor, story, or analogy for leadership, is there anything that jumps to mind? We had a graduate student of ours that really had a wonderful story. He said that as a leader, he was like a stagecoach driver. If they hit a rock and he fell out of the stagecoach, the horses could still run. But if something happened to the horses, he, he could go nowhere. And I wrote a book with Don Shula, the Miami Dolphins coach, and he said he finally became a great coach when he realized he couldn't tackle anybody, he couldn't kick the ball, he couldn't throw a pass, he couldn't do anything. His only job was to get other people to do that to the best of their ability. Sure. I, do, I like that. That's, that's a great example. What about the traits you consider that to be the most important in a leader? Obviously, you've talked uh, about the servant leadership. Any other traits that are important? Well, I think humility is is really an important one. Being a visionary, because servant leadership is two parts of it. The lead part, which is the vision and direction part, you know, where are we going, what do we stand for, and and the traditional hierarchy is good for that. Not that you don't involve other people, but people look to their boss and people up the hierarchy to set the vision and direction. Then the second part of leadership is implementation, and now you turn the pyramid upside down, and now you're there to serve, and this is the servant part of servant leadership. I think great leaders are good listeners. They are willing to listen to contrary views. They uh, take great joy in the development of their people. They just love to see people uh, rise up and be there. I think they have a servant heart. You know, the only reason they're leading is to serve, not to be served. Sure. Those are some traits. Okay. What do you think organizations do that either encourages or conversely stifles leaders? I think that the biggest thing is do you empower people? The key thing is do you permit people to bring their brains to work? And can they use their minds to solve problems or 
they always have to suck up the hierarchy and talk to their boss who talks to their boss who talks to their boss. And so I, I think that's a big limitation where people think that leadership is about the hierarchy rather than about influencing and motivating uh, others. Okay. What about one of the things I, I recall you mentioning when I heard you speak at the performance forum in Chicago was that you weren't satisfied with the lack of leadership training in the MBA programs out there right now. What what do you think and where are the best training programs for leaders? Well, we're involved in two of them. One is we have a Master of Science in Executive Leadership at the University of San Diego. Okay. And then we have a an Executive MBA at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix. The business school is named after me there, and and both of those programs is tremendous focus on leadership. The one at Grand Canyon, people take most of their basic courses online, but they come for three, four-day visits to campus. The first one at the beginning of the of the program, the second in the middle, and the third at the end. And the beginning, they learn about self-leadership, you know, about themselves and what drives them and what are their strengths and weaknesses and what what are their values. The second four weeks, they learn about one-on-one leadership and team leadership because they're very different. And then finally, the last four weeks, they learn about organizational leadership. And at the University of San Diego, it's a face-to-face program, and the students come once a month for three years, I mean, for two years, and one week each summer. And we work them all the way through from self to one-on-one, the teams to organizational leadership. As I looked at all the programs around the country, they usually have a, a course in organizational behavior, and they tuck leadership into that, so it doesn't even get a full course of its own. Oh, wow. Most business schools are, are training uh, financial analysts and, and consultants, not leaders. Why do you think that is exactly? Well, I think we get so tied up with the results and the hard stuff. They think that leadership is soft and can't teach it, but we can teach marketing and we can teach finance and accounting and all that kind of thing. And I think it's a distorted set of values that somehow thinks that people and results are either or rather than both and. Okay. Do you think more places will begin to kind of take the lead that you have started there in San Diego and Phoenix and, and implement some of those strategies, or do you think that... Yeah, no, I think more and more are starting to take a look at it, because what is the big issue around the world is we need good leaders. And if all we're training is financial analysts and consultants, that's not doing us very much good. So there's a scarcity of effective leaders around. Right. How about your own leadership? Have there been any times that your leadership was challenged or tested, and how did you respond to that? Well, you know, we have about 300-plus people working with us and offices in Toronto and London and partners in about 30 nations. So uh, my title is I'm the chief spiritual officer of our company, and people don't generally report to me. I'm, I'm more around the vision and values part of leadership and 
and I'm uh, kind of like a third-grade teacher. I say our vision and values over and over and over again until people get it right, right, right. I leave a morning message for everybody in the company every morning on our voicemail and kind of pump them up so they can remember what we stand for. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> so, um, you know, your leader, leadership is, you know, periodically challenged. It's really interesting is if people don't like a decision, then they they cry that the process is no good. If they like a decision, they don't care that they weren't involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, are some of these problems that other companies have to deal with with disgruntled employees? Are they just simply not an issue for your company at all? Or oh, I think I think it's constant. Anytime you get two or more people together, they got to have some issues. My father said, "If you didn't hear pitching from your men, watch your ass. You're going over the side. You know, it's going to be mutiny. You know, because right. you off." The communication. So, uh, one of the reasons we started our company is that there's a lot of people out there doing leadership training and consulting who have never never had to pay for a payroll. You know, they never had any people that they've had to lead. And so, with 300 people, we have all the problems and issues that every company has. And so, for example, you know, how do you get the right people and hire right people? You know, how do you uh, keep them? Uh, Keep good ones aboard, you know. How do you retain your good people? Right. Well, that's a good point. I guess I hadn't thought of that, but that that's an excellent point. This is my favorite question. We all have a story. What is yours? Is there a story you can think of that encapsulates what you're all about? In terms of my childhood or anything? Or just... Well, you can take that. and I mean, it could be what you are about as a leader, it could be what you think leadership is all about. Could be just what what Ken Blanchard is all about, not having anything to do with leadership. Well, I think that my favorite story, I think, is is that our kids and and Margie's brother want to and are playing active roles in our company. You know, so that we have a legacy to follow. Because uh, you know, you you hope that you start something and that. It's having a positive impact on people, and and when you're only kids and and family, you all think it's it's worth it. We have a family council uh, with Margie and I and our two kids and Margie's brother, and and then we have an extended family council that includes the spouses. And the family council meets uh, once a quarter for a day and a half, and we have an outside consultant that facilitates our meetings and. Because you know we think family is important, so we don't want to have any issues that uh, don't don't get dealt with. And uh, in relation to what I think, I was on a program one time with Tom Landry, and somebody said to him, "The great Dallas Cowboy coach, how do you stay so calm, uh, coach, in the midst of this crazy game of football?" He said, "It's easy. I have my priorities in order." He said, first comes the Lord, second comes my wife, third comes my kids." And fourth comes my job, so if I lose on Sunday, i got a lot left over. He said, a lot of people, if they lose on Sunday, that's it. I mean, what else is there besides winning? Right. So I try to keep those priorities in order. Do you find that you're able to do that successfully, 
most of the time? I mean, is there ever a challenge for you to do that? Do you ever get caught up in your work and whatnot, or is that? Well, I think I think every day your ego is waiting there for you uh, (laughs) to uh, you know try to get you off of focus. So you you constantly are. You know, I mean, when we lost all that money around nine eleven, you know, it was it was hard not to say, "Well, you know, it's our fault. What do we do wrong?" and get your ego in the way and say, you know, help me damn, let's get rid of all these people and all that, rather than saying, okay, how are we going to work this out together and and all. But uh, you you constantly have to remind yourself about who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Sure. So what's next for you, Ken? You know, you told that story at the beginning of, of Zig Ziglar. Do you have any plans to ever slow down or what what's kind of the next no i don't i don't think so i'm having too much fun you know i mean i we have two books coming out this year one called the one minute entrepreneur and another one called no can do k-n-o-w know it and can do you know putting your know-how into action and and uh i'm really excited about that then i'm starting work on a book with a President of WD40 might be a really interesting guy for you to talk uh, to. His name is uh, Gary Ridge. He's from Australia, and, and he was our in our first class of our Master of Science in Executive Leadership, and he's on our board. He'd be an interesting guy to talk to about my leadership style. Oh, okay. Uh, he's in that headquarters are in San Diego, but uh, we're working on. I'm going to work on a book called. Uh, uh, don't mark my papers. Don't mark my paper. Help me get an A. And, okay. Uh, I have a philosophy that you ought to, which uh, when I taught in college, you give everybody the final exam the first day of class, and then during the semester teach them the answers. So when they got to the final, they got A. And, you know, a lot of people don't agree with that. They think that as a leader you ought to be judging and evaluating. And Jack Welch says get rid of 10% and all. And I don't believe in that. And, and Gary got excited about that, and now if somebody comes into him and says, I'm having trouble with an employee and they're not performing, and I think I'm going to have to fire him, he said, don't fire him until I find out what you have done to help him get an A. Sure. And if they can't give him good things uh, that they've done, then he'll fire the manager, not the poor performer. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What is it that you're most proud about with the work that you've done. I mean, I know you've mentioned the family orientation of the business and the fact that the family's involved, and also I would assume you'd be very proud of, of keeping the staff intact through the through the 9-11 situation. Anything else that you are really proud of with the work you've done? I mean, you've influenced how many people with, with your ideas? Well, I'm proud that we seem to be having an impact around the world. I just was in India, and then I was in China, and I've been back and forth to Europe and Latin America, and wherever you go, you know, the one-minute manager is still alive and well, and situational leadership is alive and well, and people are really seem to be getting something out of it. So uh, my mission in life is to be a loving teacher and example of simple truths that helps myself and others to 
awake in the presence of God in our lives. And the reason I mention God is that I think the biggest addiction in the world is the human ego, which spells edging God out and somehow putting yourself in the in the center. Oh. So, uh, Speaking of that, when you talk about the impact in, in going to China and India, can you offer any insights on, on their cultures and what you see them bringing to the table? I mean, just how they're going to be impacting the Western world? You, you have two very interesting setups there. You have India that's basically a democracy and the only country in the world that uh, gained independence without shooting a shot through Gandhi's nonviolence and and uh, approach. And uh, then you have uh, China that's basically an autocracy which has caught the entrepreneurial bug. I think that the key element around the world to solve the biggest problem, which is the gap between the have-nots and the haves, is the free enterprise system. I mean, if, if I had anything to do with with Iraq, I wouldn't have had an election the first year. I would have backed a benevolent autocrat and built the economy. And uh, Because, you know, China is not a democracy, and nobody's worried about that because they've got the entrepreneurial bug. So I'm a great believer in the free enterprise system and what it can uh, do and, and having less government control and the possibilities of that. Sure. What about, uh, I, I enjoyed that story you shared at, when you spoke in Chicago. You said God chose humans to be in charge. He might have chosen the wrong group. Uh, I just, I found that really, uh, really comical. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, well, I think uh, God probably re- regrets maybe giving us free will. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, I was looking online and I saw that you were involved with the leadership track, like on the board of directors there. Can you talk yes. about that at all? Well, that's something started by Mick Uclea. He was a big pastor in Orange County and and has stepped down and turned over the pulpit to another guy. And he uh, has started the Uclea Center for Ethical Leadership at uh, Long Beach uh, State and... Uh, the leadership track is he sponsors a big leadership dinner uh, breakfast every year and and has a series of television shows uh, uh, that where he interviews people and he's he's quite a guy and so I've spoken there I I interviewed John Wooden one time there and and he's brings in a lot of good people. Okay. Well, it has been a great pleasure to speak with you here for a few minutes. Okay, well, I've enjoyed, I've, I've, en- I've enjoyed it. I'm glad we had some time. Yes, thank you for making the time, and glad I caught you here for a day or two in the U.S. before you're off to all parts of the world. Thank you, Ken. This concludes the Leadership Conversation with Ken Blanchard. Check back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from leadernetwork.org.